I am super excited and thankful to be here with you guys this morning. Um, the, uh, the fact that um, I haven't been out here much yet um, certainly doesn't diminish the fact that, that you guys are very much in our prayers uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, you guys are family. Um, Joel is family. Joel, I consider to be a dear uh, younger brother. Um, it's been about f- four years ago that um, he and I were, were doing uh, uh, community group leader training together, and uh, we were going through a really, really difficult time, um, just a really difficult situation. Can't even think about it. Um, with our daughter, and um, Joel was there. Um, praying me through it. And so uh, because of that, he, he is a, a dear, dear brother. But Cape Canaveral is really special to us too. Um, when our firstborn, um, I think he was maybe four months old, we moved to Cape Canaveral. Um, so that was about 26 years ago. But um, so it, it was definitely not a nice part of town. We were, uh, we were in ministry and so we were poor, so we lived in, in probably one of the worst neighborhoods in Cape Canaveral. Um, but Cape Canaveral is still on our hearts, and you guys are on our hearts. So because of that, um, we are praying for you guys. You guys are out here very distant from, from us in, in Pineda, especially now that we've moved even further south. But you guys are, are really close to us um, in our hearts. So Psalm 132 of course, is a psalm of ascents, like all of the psalms that we've been looking at. But it's a little bit different um, than some of the other psalms. This is a psalm of ascent that is the ascent of the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem. And that's a lot of the focus of this. But it's also an appeal to God to, to remember his promises to David. The most believe that that this psalm was likely either written by King David or by Solomon, his son. Um, as Solomon quotes nearly word for word parts of this psalm at the dedication of the temple many years later, um, it's a pretty good indication that Solomon is the author of this psalm. It's important that um, when we're looking at these psalms, at any of the psalms, that we remember these are songs. These aren't theological dissertations. These are songs to be sung. And they were sung by the people as they were approaching Jerusalem. But um, I want us to notice, because this is a song, there's a a parallelism going on here. There are two parts of the psalm. There's the first part, which is an appeal or remembering a celebration of David's desire his zeal for the Lord and his desire to see the ark come back to Jerusalem and to be once again the center of worship. The second half is God's oath, God's promise to David to build him a house. Well, Psalm, Psalm 132 um, is a celebration. Above all, Psalm 132 is a celebration of God's presence among his people. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, let's read Psalm 132. 
Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find my place, until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has delighted, uh, desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priest I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. God, we ask, um, God, as we consider what you have to say here, God, that our hearts would be captured by your goodness. God, that we would see you, Emmanuel, God, with us. God, that we would rejoice in uh, your presence among your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. All right, because this song has um, many aspects to it, um, we first want to remember some of the history behind it um, so that we might glimpse what, what is going on in this song and so that we might rejoice with those who would be singing this song. So Psalm 132 is a, is a meditation on 2 Samuel chapter 7. When David, in his zeal for the Lord, expresses itself in his desire to bring the ark back to Jerusalem and to build a temple to the Lord. But the Lord, of course, you know, don't, didn't allow David to rebuild the temple, but rather his son Solomon was given that honor. Now, I want us to, um, to look at this. So um, the, the people who would have been singing the psalm as they're approaching Jerusalem, and they would have been getting closer and closer now, Psalm 132 is placed at the end of the Psalms of Ascent. There's only a couple left after this. It's placed there intentionally because you're getting much, much closer to Jerusalem. Now, um, they, they would have been tracing the path of the ark as it returned to Jerusalem. So what, what is going on in the hearts of the people as they're singing this song is they are, they're getting closer and closer to the center of worship. So their hearts are being lifted. The ark, if you remember, was the center of worship. 
It's, it was essentially a wooden box. It's about three feet wide by 18 inches by 18 inches, overlaid with gold. And the lid of it was solid gold with the cherubim carved into it. It was called the mercy seat. And on the mercy seat, every year on the Day of Atonement, the priest would sprinkle the blood of the atonement sacrifice. Now, I'm not looking at my notes. This is always a problem. During Israel's wandering in the desert, the ark was kept in the innermost part of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. It was for the people of Israel where the presence of God dwelt. Now, before David was king over Israel, and it seems even before Saul was king, uh, the, the people began to treat the ark as if it were a lucky charm. They thought that, hey, if we bring this, this ark to battle, we're going to win. So in the course of, of history, there was a battle, and the, the Philistines defeated Israel. And they thought, okay, Let's bring the ark. If we bring the ark, everything's going to be okay. We're going to win. So they brought the ark to battle. Um, thinking, hey, if we just bring this thing here, it's going to go well with us. Now, before we begin to, to condemn Israel in our hearts, is thinking, man, it's really foolish to start thinking, hey, this, this sacred thing, that, that God has given us, we're going to bring this to battle and, and we're going to win. Before we start thinking, hey, that's a foolish way to think. How often do we do that? How often do we think, hey, if I pray just the right way, if I commit to reading my Bible every day, if, if I do all these things, God's going to bless my life. But God is holy. He isn't a lucky charm that we can treat like a vending machine that if we just do the right things or say the right words, that God's going to bless us and do what we want him to do. So the people of Israel brought the ark to the battle. And they were defeated again. But this time the ark was captured by the Philistines. Um, now after a series of events, the ark uh, was returned by the Philistines back to Israel um, it's really worth reading uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5 to read what happened there and why the Philistines returned the ark. Um, but they returned the ark back to Israel, and it ended up in an area called Kiriath-Jerim. And it was there for many, many years um, and was largely forgotten by the people. And I wonder, um, you know, what, what happened to worship during this period? This was at least 20 years and I wonder, like, did, did the nation of Israel just become completely secular? I mean, the priests were still there. There was still a priesthood happening, but what were they doing? What was worship like? What did they do on the Day of Atonement if there was no ark in the Holy of Holies? So after, after David became king, he desired to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. David was zealous for the Lord. We can learn a lot from from the way David wrote his psalms and the many things that, that David expressed. Um, but he had a heart for God. He wanted to see worship revived. And so they searched for the ark. They found it in Kiriath-Jerim. Um, and, and actually, for a little bit of care, uh, clarity in the, in the psalm that we're looking at, 
it says that they found it in the fields of J.R. J.R. is just a shortened form of the word jerum. It just means wood or forest. So if you remember, they loaded the ark onto a cart, and they began transporting the ark back to Jerusalem with David and the people celebrating as they went. Now, at some point, uh, one of the men traveling with the ark, his name was Uzzah, um, reached out to steady the ark when the oxen pulling the cart stumbled, and God struck him down. So they reconsidered this project and thought, well, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. People are dying just traveling, uh, transporting this thing back to Jerusalem. So they left the ark in that region for a little while. They left it in the home of a man named Obed-Edom. And after about three months, David began hearing rumors that, that God was blessing Obed-Edom. And so they thought, okay, we want to finish this deal. We want to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. So the priests did some research, and they remembered. They recognized that the, the transportation of the ark was given very specific instructions. So they did some research, and they brought the ark back to Jerusalem in the way that God had prescribed. So when they brought the ark back to Jerusalem with much celebration, um, because it was a celebration of God returning in their hearts, in their minds, it was God's presence coming back to his people. And so there was a big celebration. If you remember, David danced before the Lord. Um, he didn't care what the people think. And if, if you remember in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David danced before the Lord and his wife criticized him because he basically stripped down and danced before the Lord. Now, I... I can't really wrap my head around that. But, I mean, I can't imagine doing something like that. But I think the picture, and, and actually this, this brings to mind, um, when we first got to Japan, most of you guys know that we were missionaries in Japan. And when we first got there, a man named Dave was my mentor. I mean, every new missionary had to have a mentor. And so Dave was my mentor. And one of the first things we did together is we read 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we talked about, David dancing before the Lord. And the, the thought that, that was prevalent in that meeting was don't worry about what people think of you. Don't worry about what the Japanese think of you other than, you know, be polite, honor their customs. Um, you know, don't, don't be a rude American and just blast them with your Americanism. But, but don't be overly concerned about what people think of you. But dance before the Lord. Celebrate him. Live your life in view of his glory, not what other people think of you. So that, was, that always comes to mind when I, when I think about that. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, the psalm begins. The psalmist starts with a cry to the Lord to remember David. So when the scriptures speak of the Lord remembering someone, it's, it's speaking of God pouring out his blessing and care for that person, his grace for that person. So when he cries out, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, he's asking the Lord to fulfill his covenant promise. It isn't that he doesn't believe that the Lord will do so. It's not a, it's not a doubting kind of cry, God, remember David. 
in, in the same way when we say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, it's not that we doubt that he's going to come, but we desire for him to come. We desire to see it with our own eyes. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David is zealous for the Lord. He wants to establish a temple for the Lord and bring the ark back to Jerusalem. But much of the language in this first section, when, when we see David talking about refusing to go home and go to sleep until he has accomplished this, until he's built a temple for the Lord, um, we have to understand this is poetic expression of his zeal for the Lord, for, for accomplishing this task. It, it's not to be understood literally that David was not going to sleep until the temple was complete. It took Solomon more than seven years to build the temple. So, I mean, if David had gone for more than seven years without sleep. This is really not a good uh, thing we understand. So instead, we should recognize it. This is an expression of David's deep desire to honor God, to restore worship to the centrality of the life of the people. Verse 6, Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. This is telling the story of what happened in song form. It's just a very, very abbreviated uh, version of the events that took place, of finding the ark in Kiriath-Jerim and returning it to Jerusalem, and the joy of worshiping God as he had prescribed. Verse 8, though, Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. This is an echo of Numbers chapter 10 and verse 20, uh, 35. Whenever Moses, or whenever the ark and the people would set out to travel, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. Verse 9, let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. So in 1 Chronicles uh, chapters 13 to 16, you get a very, very detailed account um, of what we're talking about here. It's a parallel to, um, to 2 Samuel. And in verse, uh, excuse me, in chapter 15, we're told that they recognize, that the priests recognized why God broke out against them and struck Uzzah down. Because they were transporting the ark in a manner that was not prescribed by the Lord. He had given specific instructions that they were to use acacia poles and they were to carry the ark. The priests were to carry the ark on their shoulders. So uh, in verse 12 of chapter 15, we see that the priests consecrated themselves before they did this. And in this ceremony of consecration, the prayer is that God would clothe them in righteousness, making them fit for this task. So they prepared the ark, uh, prepared themselves to carry the ark. Let your saints shout for joy. So I want us to, to take a few minutes to really 
grasp, to sit in the heart of David uh, in bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, I actually want to read a pretty lengthy section. This is David, David singing. And I don't know if he was singing it or, or preaching it or what he was doing, but I want us to just listen and hear the heart that David has for the Lord. And, and as we do so, as we just sit in this for a few minutes, I want us to, to really approach this as a prayer. God, make my heart tender towards you like this, that, that my heart, the affections of my heart would be so captivated like David was. So this is First Chronicles chapter 16, beginning at verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word that he commanded. For a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham and swore his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in number, of little account and sojourners in it, Wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him. All the earth, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the, the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. I hope that, that as we, we hear that, it, it might be kind of tedious to, to sit down and just read it. But when you hear it, I, I want us to hear the passion that David had for the Lord. His heart was captivated by him. God, let our hearts be captivated like that for you. 
Now, verse 10 is a hint to us that Solomon was likely the author of this, of this song. He says, For the sake of your servant David, do not, turn a face, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. He's appealing to the Lord for the sake of David, not as David. Um, but he's appealing to the Lord for the sake of David that as the anointed king that God would bless him and bless his reign, that God would honor his promise. This hinge, uh, this is the hinge of the psalm between these two parallel halves. And I hope you see that at the beginning in verse 1, you have kind of the same appeal that you have here in verse 10. Um, The psalmist is asking, uh, Lord, honor your promise. Honor what you promised to David. He's basically repeating that same that same refrain. So the first half, of course, the first half of the psalm is the celebration of the ark coming back to Jerusalem. Now the second part uh, that we're going to begin to look at is God's promise to David. David David made an oath. He's like, God, I want to do this, this great thing for you. And then God responded and said, no, I want to do this for you. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build a dynasty for you. Your son will sit on your throne. And your children after you, if they keep my covenant, they will sit on your throne as well. So David, uh, excuse me, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also will sit, will sit on your throne. Um, now, we, we notice that, that the author of this psalm is asking the Lord, pleading with God to, to honor his promise, to bless his reign. And I, I wonder, was this Solomon asking God to bless his reign? Maybe it was Solomon before he became king, saying, God, honor your promise that, that I might become king, that I might reign and be blessed by you. Or was it Solomon in prayer, asking God to honor his petition or honor his promise for the sake of Solomon's kids, for Solomon's children, for Jeroboam? Or is it Rehoboam? I always forget. I think it's Rehoboam. But... Um, So following this first promise, though, there is a conditional promise. If your sons keep covenant with me, if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit on your throne. It wasn't an automatic that all of David's children would reign. There was a condition to this promise, that that they kept covenant with the Lord. So I'm just going to skip that. So, verse 13, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. And her saints will shout for joy. God's divine prerogative 
was to choose Zion, to choose Jerusalem as his dwelling place. God chose his people. He redeemed them and raised them up. And I think we're a forgetful people, and we, we need to be reminded that this is the same. This is true of us. God didn't choose us because we were great people. God chose us for his own glory. I think we, we so easily begin to forget that, forget the lavishness of God's grace toward us. I think something in, in Colossians that Chris just read a few minutes ago brings this to mind. We see it again in Ephesians as well. Um, actually, we read this in community group just a couple weeks ago, and I, I want to read it for us again uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, this is one of my favorite passages, so if I can work it into any sermon, I will. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, particularly verses 4 and 5, which is what we were planning on reading. But the, the, the lady in our community group who was reading uh, this passage didn't want to stop at verse 5. She's like, I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep reading. So she read on through verse 7. And, and I'm, we're glad that she did because it, it brings out the lavish grace and blessing that God has poured out on us. And I want you to, to listen for, for just a minute. That God didn't just rescue us from our sin. He did rescue us from our sin, but he didn't just do that. He didn't just pull us from the mire and say, great, now you're on your own. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. And we see in that, as, as we see in Colossians, as we see with Israel, with Jerusalem, that God chose us, redeemed us, and raised us up far beyond anything we could have ever dreamed. But God loves to pour out his blessing among his people. Verse 17, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Now, like we said a few minutes ago, this is both a song of celebration of the return of the ark, um, as well as a plea for God to honor his promise regarding David's successor, Solomon. But when taken as a whole, it's a celebration of the presence of God among his people. So I'm so thankful that Riley sang, that we sang together, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. This is especially true when we consider the last statement of this psalm. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. This is, a, this is referring to God raising up Christ the Messiah from the house and lineage of David. The writers of the gospel make very, very clear that Christ Jesus was of the house and the lineage of David. Peter in his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 recognized this. He said, brothers, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Church, rejoice. Rejoice this morning, for God has fulfilled his promises in Christ. When we read a psalm like this, and if we only look at it from the historical perspective, it's very interesting. It's interesting to see Solomon pleading with God, asking him to honor his promise. God, please honor your promise to set one of David's children on the throne. But when we see the last portion, the promise of the Christ, we see that now. We know that it was fulfilled. Rejoice. The king is on the throne, but not not just the throne of David in Jerusalem, not a temporal throne, but the eternal throne of God. Emmanuel, God with us, has come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we ask that in spite of our our tendency, God, to um, live in this world as if you are an afterthought. God, we, we are so prone to allowing our affections to be captured by lesser things, by things that are unworthy of it. God, we ask this morning that, God, like David, that, that you would give us hearts that are captivated, captivated by your grace. God, that, that your goodness toward us in Christ Jesus would be the one thing, the only thing that drives our lives. We ask it in your name. Amen.